Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate dap for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's going on? And welcome to another BuzzBeat, your favorite Charlotte Hornets podcast. You can follow us at BuzzBeatPod on Twitter and find our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is Richie, and I'll be joined today on this episode with Spencer for a little bit uh, to pay tribute to Kobe Bryant and his life and the impact that he had on basketball and the impact that he had on the community uh, within basketball. You know, I just had a chance to interview Paul Washington Sr. and talk about his son, PJ, and how his rookie season is going. Uh, He gave some great insight uh, on his coaching experience when he coached him in high school. And you guys can find that portion uh, towards the last 10 to 15 minutes of this episode. Paul also shared to me that PJ actually has the same birthday as Kobe Bryant, so he felt a little bit of a connection there, and and I'm sure PJ Washington and a lot of NBA players were feeling the effects of Kobe Bryant and his passing, just like you know people outside the basketball community. I think it's really, truly hard to put into words, Spencer, how much he means to this basketball uh, community and just how it should make you appreciate your loved ones a little bit more after something like this happens. And, you know, I found out just like everyone else did, uh, you know, through social media, my, my brother was actually the first one to text me about it. And I was stunned when he, when he said that Kobe Bryant could have possibly passed away uh, on a helicopter crash. I, I just didn't want to believe it. And all of Sunday, I was just speechless watching NBA TV and watching ABC and, and just all the reports that came out with uh, Kobe. I'm going to op- actually open this up to you first, Spencer, and just if you have any reflective thoughts about Kobe and his career and just about this whole situation in general. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely hard to believe. Um, I found out I was driving home from the airport with my wife, and she kind of she gasped, like one of those gasps you hear from your wife or significant other that scares you um, and told me what had happened. And I started crying right there. And, I, and I, you know, the whole, the whole afternoon into the evening, I, I, I just I don't remember – a passing like this of a, a person of, you know, a celebrity status in sports or entertainment or, you know, poli- poli- politics, whatever. I, I just, I don't remember being affected by a death like this for somebody I'd ever met in my entire life. Um, you know, it was like hard getting up this morning and like shaking the cobwebs off and going to work and just trying to get back to, 
try to live a normal day. You know, I mean, he, he meant that much to the game. Uh, you know, it's cliche, but Kobe Bryant, you know, he truly transcended basketball. Um, his attitude, his work ethic, how he approached life. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not the first person to say it. If you've listened to any podcast today about Kobe Bryant or read anything about his life, he, he went about things um, and goals uh, unlike almost anyone else on earth, maybe more so than anyone else. And, um, you know, that just played into the whole Mamba mentality. But, you know, the things that I'll always remember about Kobe and, and you know, and carry with me are probably from my coaching days. Uh, I mean, certainly I remember, you know, being in high school and playing high school basketball and Kobe just being one of those guys you were in awe of watching. But I think through having the opportunity to coach high school for six years and <laughs> really begging a lot of my players offensively, you know, to, to share the ball more often. Don't try to be Kobe Bryant because you're not Kobe Bryant. You know, I mean, I guarantee you I used those, that exact sentence <laughs> numerous times with a bunch of the kids that I coached. I mean, you know, I, I never – and it, that was probably my biggest criticism of Kobe, the hero ball aspect of, of what his game was like. I mean, that guy never saw a situation or a shot or a defensive sequence that was above him or too much for him or something he couldn't accomplish um, and do it at a high level. And on the offensive end, you know, in high school, certainly we ran a motion offense. We preached that pass, cut, pass, cut. You know, we were teaching the game on a very basic level. So Kobe was almost like uh, your nemesis as a high school basketball coach. So I probably remember that, you know, the most from, from Kobe and, and his influence on the game. But, I mean, he's our generation. I mean, you and I are almost the same age, Richie. Like, he's our generation star. Yeah. Right. Like I, re- I remember Michael uh, in playing, but vaguely. But I remember all of Kobe's championships. I don't know, man. It, it'll just the league will never be the same without Kobe Bryant, and and I mean that wholeheartedly. He changed it forever, and uh, it's just it's tragic. It's tragic beyond belief. It really is. Yeah, and you mentioned <laughs> Michael Jordan and Kobe in the same sentence because. A lot of their games were very similar, and I'm sure Kobe patterned a ton of his game after Michael. And to your point, you and I are both 31 years old, and so we did watch Michael Jordan growing up, but it was towards the tail end of his career, like 96, 97, 98, those last few years in Chicago. We didn't really catch the young Michael Jordan, but Kobe for us, for our generation, was really the first true superstar that we got to appreciate and experience his full NBA career. And I said this in our Slack channel among our listeners, but Kobe was the first non-Hornet jersey that I've ever bought. And I guess it wasn't me that bought it, but my parents bought it for me. I had a Muggsy Bogues jersey. I had a Larry Johnson jersey. But my first non-Hornet jersey happened to be Kobe Bryant. And I remember this, uh, this birthday party that I went to. It was I can't remember how old I was, but probably eight, nine, ten years old. And we there was like it was basketball themed, and they told everyone to wear one of your favorite jerseys. And we're gonna have a dunk contest on this like little tykes basketball goal outside. And I remember having all my jerseys laid out, and, and I picked out the Kobe Bryant one, and I uh, enjoyed myself at that birthday party. But I just those are like the little small memories that I have of Kobe Bryant that weren't even on the court. He really was a very determined basketball player. He modeled his game after MJ, and it's that mentality, that Mamba mentality that everyone talks about uh, that, that makes you appreciate him even more. So regardless 
of the conversation of whether or not uh, you know he's top two, top three NBA player of all time. Uh, he had something that a lot of NBA players never had, and that was that that mentality on the court to, like you said, there's not one singular situation where it felt like he couldn't accomplish or he couldn't attack and try to get the best uh, out of anyone on the opposing team. And, you know, a- after his playing days, and I, I think, you know, obviously when you have kids, Spencer, it, it kind of hits a little bit harder home for me. Uh, you know, he truly was a family man. And, and Gigi, who was also on the helicopter, you saw the images and the videos of him, you know, coaching her up in basketball and just being so proud of her as a daughter. Uh, you know, that, that, that hits hard to me because of my 15-month kid. And, 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 you know, like I said, it, it's these types of situations, Spencer, that make you want to appreciate your loved ones a little bit more. And it really shouldn't come to this to where you have to say, I love you to your parents, to your brother, to your to your kids or whatever. But sometimes it's a situation like this that, that makes you appreciate uh, your family members. Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. And I think that maybe what Kobe leaves behind more than anything else and why I said he, he truly transcends basketball you know, earlier is that his life really, when you look at it in 41 years, came full circle. You know, he's this kid growing up in Philadelphia, star basketball player, comes to the NBA, has immediate success, has an amazing career, and is and is really known as, in a lot of ways, this like hard to play with, hard to be a teammate with. He's just so driven within himself. Nothing was going to stop him. That was just his mentality. So, you know, if there's a criticism of him during his playing days, maybe he wasn't always the best teammate because he was that hard on the people around him. Um, And then to watch him go into retirement, which was what, only Richie four or five, whatever it was, four years ago, five, it wasn't that long ago. And to, to transform into this family man, with, with these daughters and uh, and be so loving to them and just set such a great example for males everywhere that has nothing to do with basketball, but it's how to be a father. And, uh, you know, it, that's just, I don't know, man, I just still get emotional because it, it really is so tragic. And it just seemed like his best, his best days, you know, were really ahead for him. But he wasn't a perfect guy. You know, we don't have to talk about the things, you know, that he had on his record that made a lot for a few years there, kind of kind of damn his name. But he is a true story of, of a life come full circle in, short, in such a short amount of time and a story of redemption. You know, he was painted as a selfish guy for a long time for more reasons than one. But, hey, as of yesterday, Kobe Bryant was anything but that and had, had truly, you know, gotten outside of himself and noticed and realized what was important in life, and that was his family, I mean, he was writing children's books. I mean, right. it's just it's just kind of crazy to see all that he accomplished in such a short amount of time. So he's going to be missed. So question about that. The league will never be the same. And, I mean, the ripple effects in the NBA this, this season are, are going to be incredible. I mean, he, you know, the guys competing for the championship this year were – didn't just look up to him. Those were his – those are his peers, you know. So – you, you, you kind of scratch your head, at least it's the thought I had today. You know, how are the LeBron James, you know, and some of this this last guard of the older generation in the league now, how, how are they going to respond to this for the ma- remainder of the season? You know, it, this is this is a burden unlike anyone can imagine to carry. And, um, you know, my thoughts are out to certainly the family. Every, everybody is impacted by exactly. this. But just from an NBA perspective, you know, to these players that have to – somehow 
get up and go out there and finish this 82-game schedule because I guarantee you right now half the league feels like just locking themselves in a room and just being in there for a few days and mourning because this is going to take a long time. We we haven't seen a death like this in sports. I, I really don't think ever. At least none has hit me like this. Yeah, definitely not in our at our lifetime exactly. I, I can't even imagine how those players played uh, in NBA games on, on Sunday. I felt like you know every one of those players either played against Kobe or looked up to him. And yeah, I just feel like the, the emotions would have gotten to them, and there was a lot of great tributes uh, yesterday in the NBA games where teams took 24-second violations to start the game and eight-second backcourt uh, violations to start the game, and that, that's just crazy to me that those two numbers, 24 and 8, are somehow within the basketball rules, and uh, teams were able to kind of take advantage of that to pay tribute to Kobe Bryant. And you did mention a great thing. Obviously, there were nine people on this helicopter crash, so you know, with this being a basketball podcast, we do want to send out prayers and thoughts to the families uh, for, for the Bryant family, but there were also seven other people on that helicopter that that deserve uh, the attention and, and respect just like Kobe did. So, Spencer, before we get off, any kind of lasting thoughts about, about Kobe uh, before we get to my interview with uh, Paul Washington Sr.? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think I pretty much said what I wanted to say. I'm glad we got to do this. You know, we were texting this morning, and I think I texted you and Brian yesterday. It just I didn't expect for, like, if you would have told me this was going to happen on Saturday night, I wouldn't have expected my emotional reaction to be as intense as it was. And and I think that's a sign of somebody that, that, that really left a positive impact on the world um, and taught us a valuable lesson. So we're all indebted to Kobe Bryant for that forever. So I think that's it, man. Rest in peace, Mamba. Yeah, the, the feeling is definitely lingering a whole lot longer than I thought it would, and it just is always in the back of your mind. I thought I was going to wake up this morning, and, and I just would be ready to go for the day, but uh, you know, I was still kind of reminiscent about Kobe's career. So, guys, we uh, appreciate the time, but uh, we could probably spend another 30 minutes about Kobe Bryant here, but I think we'll leave it at that. Uh, the last part of this episode uh, is an interview with Paul Washington Sr., and I hope you guys enjoy. <laughs> Uh, we have an awesome guest today. Uh, if it's not our best guest on the pod, it's definitely right up there. We have Paul Washington Sr., a former head coach of the Finley Prep High School basketball team, where his team had a record, I believe, of 60 wins and nine losses over the course of his two seasons while he was coaching there. But I'm sure most of our listeners probably recognize the name because he is the father of the talented rookie on the Charlotte Hornets, P.J. Washington Jr. So, Paul, thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule. And how's everything going with you? Oh, no problem, man. Everything's going good. Life is good right now. I'm excited. I'm excited. Well, that's, that's good to hear. Uh, I think all a lot of Hornets fans are enjoying P.J. Washington play this year. Uh, he has surprised a lot of people. I'm just going to ask you some several questions about yourself, but also about mm-hmm. P.J. as well. My, my first question sure. to you, uh, Paul, was how was it coaching P.J. in high school? I think being coach is, is hard enough, having to manage all the players and stuff like that. But when you have your son on the team, sometimes it complicates things. I think uh, other players maybe look at him a little bit differently. Uh, were you harder on him? And, and just kind of share some thoughts and some insight on how that experience went uh, coaching him in high school. Sure. Um, you know, I've been coaching him since he was walking, you know, in, uh, in preschool and the YMCA and AAU and I was his middle school coach. So by the time we got to high school, I think we kind of figured it out. 
So uh, it wasn't wasn't too tough. Actually, a pleasure. I think my record uh, was was a lot more wins and losses with TJ on the team. So uh, it was pretty good. He's a student of the game, uh, a very cerebral player. Uh, he knows every position, so it made it easy. And uh, he was just a winning basketball player. So you know, I used to have to literally encourage him to shoot the ball, and and uh, you know, he would try to get triple doubles, and uh, I would pay him a little bit money more money for triple doubles. I'll pay him for rebounds. I'll pay him for any points over 20. So I try to encourage him to do, uh, be very all around. So that's where you see the all around game. And it cost me a lot of money at senior year. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yes. So you said he started playing since it seems like he was walking. I mean, did you as parents put any pressure on him to play basketball? Cause I have a, I have a 15 month old of my own and I keep telling my wife that, Hey, I, I want, I want him to play basketball or baseball, but my wife keeps <laughs> reminding me, you know what? He could play tennis. He could play soccer. You just got to live with whatever sport he goes into. So was there any pressure on, on your end for him to play basketball? Um, you know what? We, we were just, we're a sports family. My wife and I both play college basketball. Um, so naturally our kids, they usually gravitate to what you do, but, uh, with him and his brother, I uh, made sure that they played all sports. They played baseball. Actually, he was a hell of a pitcher. Uh, played football. He was a quarterback and a DN, also running back. Uh, and then he played basketball. So we made sure when it was that season, he played that sport. And then we went to the next sport because I didn't want to burn him out at a young age. So, um, And growing up in Texas, you know, it's, it's a football state. So that's where he gets his physicality from. So he, he actually loved football. He, he definitely loved football early on. Yeah, I, th- that's one sport where I'm just like, I- I'm not sure if I want my kid playing football just because of all the uh, the concussion stuff and all the injuries. But sure. uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's a good thing to do is, is expose the kids to as many sports as possible so they're not burned out. Right. I, I guess at what age, what age, Paul, did you notice or recognize that maybe maybe PJ had the potential to be a collegiate player and play at an SEC school, or, or maybe did you know that he was going to be an NBA player? Like, was there an age or, or a certain time period uh, in his playing career that you thought maybe he has the the ability to go the distance there? I knew probably in his fourth to fifth grade years uh, playing for me in the summertime. I knew he was special. I know he had a talent that if he just really honed his skills and really worked at it, uh, that he could be special. Uh, he came to me in fifth grade and, and told me that he wanted to uh, make it to the NBA. And we said, well, let's, let's set some goals out, you know, to, to accomplish that. And I just wanted to see what kind of work ethic did he really buy into. And he said, Dad, I want to be a McDonald's All-American. I want to be a Jordan kid. He said, I want to play on the USA team overseas. He said, I want to go to University of Kentucky. So then I looked at him, I said, well, do you know anybody out of Frisco, Texas that did any of this stuff you want to do? And he said, no. I said, me neither. So we need to really put our heads together, come up with a plan, and do different things to take the sacrifices for you to accomplish your goals. And that's kind of how we did it. We set out to accomplish his goals, and to his credit, he accomplished every one of them. That's good. Yeah, you set those many goals along the way. You can kind of achieve stuff along the way and get there. And he obviously met his goal of going to Kentucky and he did have a solid season his freshman year at Kentucky, but he decided to come back for his sophomore season. He improved in a lot of ways from his first season to his second season. But I think the biggest jump from a lot of fans views came from behind the arc. PJ Washington went from shooting 21 three-pointed tips in all of his freshman year to shooting close to 80 in his sophomore year. And he also went from shooting 24% all the way up to 43. So my question to you, uh, what all went into his decision to return to Kentucky and maybe how much of it was him wanting to kind of showcase that outside shot? His, his shooting ability was something that uh, the NBA 
wanted to see something more in college. Uh, if you go back to high school, I mean, he shot he shot more threes and 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 has had a really good percentage in high school. He averaged twenty points, ten rebounds, and seven assists. But there again, he's a coach's kid. So his freshman year, uh, you know, Calipari needed him in the post and mm-hmm. told him to go down there and bang and be a physical kid and rebound. So that's kind of what he did and told him to drive the ball. So he does what the coach is telling him to. Coming back, we got the feedback after his first year going to the combine, and they wanted to see more of a, a rounded game to see if he can shoot the ball. And so that's kind of what he showcased his sophomore year. You know, he he rounded his game and went in the gym and practiced and and uh, stretched his game. So that was uh, a credit to him. You know, putting the work in and, and showing that part of the game. Well, very good. And obviously, going into the NBA, it's pretty easy to see that that extra year did pay off for PJ, and he developed that outside shot, or at least showcased it a little bit more. And that's totally in his arsenal, as you see uh, him on the NBA court today. But to me, what has surprised me the most from PJ this season in the NBA game is that he does have some guard skills. Like we see him dribbling mm-hmm. up the court off a miss or driving from the perimeter down into the lane. And it's just the the ability to handle the ball as a big without actually losing control of the ball is something that I did not know he had in his game. You know, as his mm-hmm. dad, is there something in his game this season that you did not think would show up so soon um, against NBA talent? I know as a dad, you're probably going to say, well, you know, I, I knew he had this in his game. But is there anything like in his game that just kind of surprises you a little bit that in his first season has uh, showcased itself? Um, probably his his blocks. I didn't think with uh, with his size. I knew he's athletic. I know he has a seven three wingspan, but I didn't I didn't think he would uh, he would lead the team in blocks and and do the kind of blocks that he has and, and the help side defense. And he's just getting better and better defensively. So um, that was probably the first thing that that surprised me uh, a little bit. That would transfer over to the NBA. Now, did did he play some guard when he was younger? Because like I that, mm-hmm. th- th- those types of guard skills just keep surprising me. The, the yeah. more and more he plays. Right. No. So when he was younger, I had uh, I had to create a, a different team two years up. So he, he was in fifth grade. We created a seventh grade team. And uh, on fifth grade, he was the biggest kid. But on seventh grade, he was able to play the perimeter. So that's why I had an older team. So I made him play, you know, two years up so he can be on the perimeter. He was point guard, two guard. He won a ninth grade nationals as a seventh grader in Little Rock, Arkansas. He led our team in scoring at 16 a clip, and he was only in seventh grade, and he played the two guard for us. So that's where the skills that come in from being on the perimeter. Well, good. Yeah, I think the versatility that you're seeing out of P.J. Washington this year between the post play, the passing, the dribbling, uh, it's it's very nice to see out of a rookie, and it's very promising for Hornets fans to see this. A couple more questions for you, Paul. Uh, has P.J. had conversations with you about this season in terms of you know, not getting the wins and losses the way that, uh, you know, he probably was accustomed to getting uh, throughout the course of his basketball career. And does that wear on him at all? Um, definitely. I mean, he's a winner. I mean, that's the biggest thing that motivates him is winning. So that was a little frustrating. If you look at the first game and, and they won the first game, he's jumping around like they won a championship. <laughs> I mean, he's used to winning, you know. Um, so we just try to keep his head in, into it and and, and for him to look at family get better and what he can do to help his team win. So that's definitely something that he's never, you know, uh, been in a situation where they took that many L's uh, so often. So this is different for him. So I just told him you can learn from every situation, you know, and, and for you to look at the game and see what you can do to help your team improve and, uh, you know, get better as a player and get better as a team. So um, I'm excited for the future for him. I mean, they're young, you know, so they're going to take some bumps and bruises. But once they start figuring it out, boy, they're going to be held to reach. I'm excited for him. 
Yeah, I think the Hornets' approach this season has always been kind of like of one of the rebuild and, and developing the players. And I think as a young player that is accustomed to winning, coming and playing in this game and, and only having 15 wins so far in the season is probably not something that's easy for him. But I think you got to look at the long-term picture with this team. Last question right. I have for you, Paul, uh, is what is one thing that you hope that P.J. either accomplishes this season or just kind of takes away from his rookie season um, and kind of looking forward, I guess, either something he accomplishes this season or something he accomplishes a couple seasons down the road? I would just like him to be more consistent. You know, the way he can, you know, P.J. can average a double-double if he really just put his mind to it. So I just want him to be more consistent, find a little things in the game that he can improve uh, you know, to get a couple more rebounds, to get some more steals, get a couple blocks, a couple, you know, shoot better free throw lines. There's always improvement, but um, just a little thing, breaking the game down from, you know, the minutes that he's in the game, the different quarters, half time, so how he can be the most efficient kid out there instead of just sometimes, you know, running up and down the court. So it's, it's a job, you know, and it's, uh, you got to break it down like that. So that's kind of what we're, we're talking to him about the mentality of the NBA and, and how do you be more efficient as a player to help your team win. Well, thank you, Paul, for taking your time out again. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us today. I'm sure the listeners are going to be excited to kind of hear your insight. Uh, we've never had a father of a player appear on our show before, so so thank you again. <laughs> no problem, man. Anytime, Ricky. Thanks a lot. Yep, and if you guys want to interact with him on Twitter, his handle is at pwash25. As always, we'd appreciate a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast. Uh, I hate to beg, guys, but just take the two minutes out of your day to do that for us. It does make the world of difference. For Paul, I am Richie. We will see you guys next time.